Today's episode is sponsored by amyberrickman.com. Amy's site offers a wealth of inspiration and information based on her extensive collection of vintage sewing and fashion treasures. Follow her blog and newsletter as she curates timeless wisdom, fascinating stories, and handmade style. Vintage Notions is her award-winning book, and Vintage Made Modern is her mantra. Thank you so much, Amy. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 153 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we are talking about building an illustration business with my guest, Stacy Bloomfield. Stacy is the founder of the company Gingerbur, based in Springdale, Arkansas. She's an illustrator and printmaker who sells prints, stationery, fabric, and homewares in over 500 retail outlets around the country. She's collaborated with many retailers, including West Elm, Brooklyn Industries, The Land of Nod, which is now called Crate and Kids, Moda Fabrics, Chasing Paper Wallpaper, and she's been featured on Design Sponge, MarthaStewart.com, and other publications. She's also one of the founders of the Creative Social Retreat. Stacy's the mom of three children, and she lives with her husband in Springdale. Stacy, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I have been an admirer of Gingerbur products for a very long time. Um, I remember mm-hmm. taking a look at the, a lot of your gift products in the Moda booth, actually, at Quilt Market last year. Um, they're adorable. And I'm excited to talk with you about the winding path toward how they landed there and in many other retailers. So um, it's going to be exciting. But we're going to, um, I guess, start with Springdale, Arkansas, because I think that's a pretty cool place to live. I know it's in the Ozarks, where Tyson Food is headquartered, and I wondered if you could just Tell us a little bit about the town and what it's like to live there. Well, wow, yes, Tyson Foods. That's, we're actually like the chicken capital of the United States because of Tyson Chicken being in Springdale, uh, which is funny. Anyway, yeah, I have been in Springdale, Arkansas for almost 11 years. Gosh, maybe it is already 11 years, and it is beautiful in northwest Arkansas. Uh, we have beautiful seasons, uh, hot, humid summers, which I'm totally used to now. Beautiful falls. Our winters are cold, but not too cold. It's super affordable to live in. And there's actually like a flourishing creative community here. And it's just amazing. I never thought we would settle here and be here as long as we have. And now we have no intention of leaving. <laughs> So. so what brought you there? Was it your husband's job? I know he used to be a math professor. Was it his job that brought you there? Uh, actually, his education. So we were looking for a university for him to get his PhD in because he has a PhD in mathematics now. So we were looking all over the country and uh, the University of Arkansas, which is where we 
ended up landing, uh, had a really great program. And then Nathan had some family in the area. He was born in Arkansas originally, but hadn't lived there for most of his life. So when we were trying to settle, we were also newly pregnant with our first child. And we wanted to be close to family. So that's how we landed here. And then we just never left. Wow, that's so neat. And um, it's neat to live in a place that's both affordable and beautiful and has like a little arts community. I think that's really cool. So yeah, that's neat. So okay, where did you actually grow up? Um, where, like, where were you born? And where did you grow up? <laughs> I was born in Dallas, Texas. And I lived there until I was, gosh, maybe 10 or 11. Then my family moved to Springfield, Missouri, which is actually not very far from where I live now, maybe two and a half hours. But when I was 11 years old, we moved there and my parents enrolled me in a small private school. And that's where I met my now husband, Mr. Nathan Bloomfield. He was 12 and I was 11 when we first met. And it was just, we both lived in Springfield and kind of grew up near each other and yeah, so I would, th- I would say I'm like a Springfield, Missouri native, but now I've almost lived in Arkansas as long as I lived in Springfield. So who knows where I'm from? And, I don't know. And what did your parents do for work? Well, my mother was a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood. Now she's a preschool teacher. She's always loved children. And then, weirdly enough, my father actually owned a printing press company. So he did like four-color printing. He had his own press and staff, and they did before online printing and the internet was a thing, you know, they, they printed everyone's business brochures in the Dallas Metroplex area, not everyone's, but like a segment of businesses, he was their printer. And then he became a printing broker, which he was the middleman between the actual physical printing and then the businesses. But then the internet got really popular, replaced the middleman. So he became a realtor after that. Got it. But you kind of had a model, it sounds like of entrepreneurship and really of creative entrepreneurship. I think so. Yes. I always watched my dad own his own business and I saw how hard it was and how much time and dedication it took. And also the benefits of how he was able to be with our family a lot because he owned his own business. He was able to set his hours. And I think about that a lot now that I own my own business. I think about how can I best serve my family with my time. And I also try to make sure that I'm really wise with my business decisions so that my family can be secure, you know? Yeah, that's neat. Um, so I know that you really loved drawing as a child. Um, and did you know that you wanted to be an artist? Yes, I have always known I wanted to be an artist. Uh, I also thought maybe I'd be a professional softball player because of the movie A League of Their Own, which my parents let me watch as a child and all the like bad language and sexual innuendo went right over my head. All I saw was softball and Gina Davis. And I thought maybe I could do that. But really, I always wanted to draw. That's my earliest memories of drawing with my dad. He would doodle an animal and I would copy him. And that's all I've ever wanted. Okay. And I know um, in high school, you were kind of a leader. Uh, It sounds like you went to that same small school. Um, when you, you know, the same school that you, uh, first went to when you moved out to Missouri, um, and you were like student council president. I was everything I could possibly be. I was student council president. I was, uh, head of the fellowship of Christian athletes for a while. I, uh, national honor society, captain of the volleyball team. I played on the men's golf team because they didn't have a woman's golf team. And, uh, 
I was briefly a cheerleader only because I was like, gosh, darn it. I haven't tried this yet. Maybe I could do it. Turns out I was really clumsy and my arms are longer than the entire height of my body. So I wasn't really the best cheerleader, but I've always been really driven to just be involved and to do everything I can, like 100%. So, And I know um, that you asked your husband, now husband, but in high school, you asked, um, uh, you know, your your boyfriend at that time out on, on your first date. And I love that because I actually asked my husband out on our first date as That's well. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. I, Nathan Bloomfield was the boy that I always admired, but never knew if we would actually be able to be together. So he had already graduated high school and was in college and I was a senior and I was in charge of my student council and I'd planned the entire, like what we called prom. We weren't allowed to call it prom because it was a religious institution. So we called it like non-prom, but you know, like you get dressed up and you have a date. I didn't have a date. So then I just sent Mr. Nathan Bloomfield an email and turns out he doesn't really check email. So he didn't reply to me for maybe like three weeks and then he was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm sure we'll, we'll do this. Let's, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. And I was like, whoosh. And then we hung out right before that. And he said he knew I was the one. He knew I was the one right then. And I was determined that we wouldn't be that serious, even though I'd always loved him from afar because I didn't want to be that girl who was really serious with her first steady boyfriend but here I am now been married for 13 years to him that's awesome and I and I we're gonna loop back to this because one of the things that you are amazing at is pitching yourself and um I just feel like (laughs) I'm actually pretty good at pitching myself as well and um and I think asking your spouse out on the first date is maybe a sign of it's the ultimate pitch (laughs) when i saw that you had done that i was like yeah that's a sign of being good at pitching yourself so anyway i thought that was really interesting and funny but um so okay so you went to college and um and it sounds like you were always kind of a planner or a person with a plan even in college Oh, yes. I was notorious for this five-year plan that I would like write and rewrite and carry around with me all the time. When I was stressed, I would look at my five-year plan. When I was like making decisions, I would look at my five-year plan. And the plan was always kind of in flux, like it changed as it needed to. Uh, But I always was the girl who's like ready. I was like, I'm going to graduate faster than anyone else because I'm so organized and so well planned out. And it's actually like funny now looking back because I didn't, my life plan is so different than what I wrote down it would be, but I'm totally okay with that. So what did you at that time, I mean, I can't imagine you necessarily thought I'm going to become an illustrator and license my designs and, you know, I mean, the internet wasn't the internet that we know of. And so saw a lot of the possibilities that exist you couldn't have imagined. So, um, what, like, what did you sort of think at at that time life was going to be? Well, I knew that since Nathan and I were pretty young, we got married when I was 20 and he was 21. We were still undergraduates. I knew that I was going to have to be really making good use of of our time and my like money. So I always had a job through college. I worked like crazy. I had internships with like, the local 
our university had a graphic design department that did all the all the work for the whole university and I got an internship and then a paid position there working for them and I just knew because we had chosen to get married at a young age my husband had a lot of education ahead of him that I had to make really wise financial decisions so at the time I thought I would just become a professional graphic designer because that's all I knew was available to be a creative you know I had a fine art background but you know I got the graphic design degree as well because that's stable and steady right Mm -hmm. yeah and then it's funny I I've talked about this with my husband a lot like if we could go back what would we change and maybe I was so focused on being responsible it led to me making a couple of decisions like for instance uh, I had an opportunity to work in my hometown at a publication that would have been a really great like jumping career position into getting into graphic design and doing doing that career I wanted for myself. But they had horrible insurance. So I had always worked at Starbucks from the time I was in high school all the way through college. And so I chose to move up in management uh, simply because it was the practical thing to do. I worked for the insurance and I became a, an assistant store manager and then eventually a store manager while my husband was pursuing his PhD. And I kind of put art on the back burner simply to be super responsible. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of where my plan diverged a little bit. I thought I would become a graphic designer and just have that career and see what happened with it. And then, you know, the recession hit and life was the way it was. And so I was super practical. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know, I, I can totally see that you, you're, you know, you've got a really practical sort of, um, uh, decision maker, uh, piece of you for sure. And so I'm wondering how, um, art came back. It sounds like you were, um, you were pregnant with, um, your first child and just sort of, and I think it's interesting that, um, this is what brought art back because I think it, it's true for so many people, specifically really for people who make quilts, it seems like they, that's the thing that gets them into quilting is they want to make something for this baby. And so they start, you know, quilting and then they can, they can't stop and it becomes a business. Um, but for you, it sounds like, you know, you, you wanted to, to decorate and make things for the baby baby's room and and that's that was the impetus to get back to art making it was and honestly it was the way I got my life back into my plan I guess you could say I had become so practical with my decision making that all the things that were kind of on that infamous five-year list were kind of put aside for the sake of stability which is also important but then we were pregnant with our first child And she was born and I was working like crazy at Starbucks. And I honestly wasn't even around her a lot during her first year, which is heartbreaking. My husband took care of her more than I did. And I finally was looking at her bare room that literally just had a crib on it. And I had painted the floor. It was like a cement floor. And I painted some cute little checks on it that I'd seen in a, like a, maybe Domino magazine was the inspiration for that. And I was like, okay, it's finally time to decorate this nursery. But I hadn't drawn in years because I kind of had to, put that part of myself away for the sake of getting like the job done and taking care of my family. Uh, So I finally, I remember one day I just had a bunch of manila envelopes for some reason and around the house and I grabbed a Sharpie and I just started doodling with a Sharpie. And I think the first thing I drew was either a seahorse or a peacock. And I drew, um, I, I just kept going. So each animal that I drew had like a number in it. So like 
it, so the animal was the shape kind of of the number. So I did a series of one through 10 and just real quickly did that. And my husband saw it and he said, wow, Stacy, these are really cute. I was like, yeah, I think I'll put them in Violet's nursery so she can learn to count whenever, you know, be familiar with the numbers. And I'm not around her a lot. So at least then she'll see my work. And he said, well, there's this thing called Etsy online that I just heard about. And I think it's for people like you who are just kind of part-time doodlers and crafty people and want to sell their work. You should really try to sell these. And at the time I was like, not confident in my abilities at all. I was like, no, these are kind of lame. I don't, I don't think anyone would want them, but he's always been like a, a gentle encourager in my life. And so I remember at the time it was really scary, but I created the the prints and then I used like an online printing service to print them for me because I couldn't afford a printer yet. I made my first Etsy listings and then I sold nothing for a really long time. So it was just, I got the ball rolling though. Got the yeah. ball rolling. I think yeah. that's actually encouraging for people to hear because um, I don't know. I think somebody in- encountering you today could easily think that it was just an overnight success because you have so much success. But to hear that, and this was maybe how many years ago? Because how old is is your daughter now, that daughter? She, she's 10, uh, okay. 10 and a half. So we just celebrated our 10-year business anniversary from the day I opened my Etsy shop. Okay. That was in May. So, so no overnight success here. This was 10 years ago. You put these things up in your Etsy shop, didn't feel confident, didn't sell anything for several months. So I just think that like that is realistic and true. And that's what happened. And like, that's a big part of the story. So oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And like didn't have a printer, you know, didn't have the right equipment and all of that stuff. So eventually, right, you did make a sale and, and, um, and, and things did start to, to pick up. It did. It did start to pick up. It was funny because when that first order actually did come through, I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, I have to package and ship something. What do I do? Because, you know, you don't necessarily think those things through when you're first getting started. I mean, yeah, get the sale. Then I was a nervous wreck with the envelope and like how to ship it without bending. And I remember I decorated the heck out of that envelope. It was the prettiest envelope. And if you go back to my Etsy reviews, look at the first review and it's from whoever bought that first thing for me. And they said, this envelope is so pretty. I'm going to keep it too. So that was really sweet. And it, it was just like that first little bit of customer feedback where I kind of took a big exhale and I was like, ah, okay, I did it. First hurdle, sold a print. Then I was like, I need to buy my own printer, but it was $600. And my husband was a graduate student and we were not like super secure financially. So I was terrified. I was like, how many prints am I going to have to sell to afford this printer? And my husband was really sweet. And I, I think we, we dug through, we had a bunch of savings bonds. It's something that his, my husband's family every year, our grandparent gave him a little savings bond and he had a couple that had matured. And he said, we'll cash these and we'll use this to buy a $600 printer. And I was like, no, we can't do that. Like, that's so irresponsible. We could buy so much more. He's like, no, we're doing it. So he helped me get online and we bought my first Epson archival printer. And when it arrived, I tried to return it because I was so terrified that we were being irresponsible with the money. And he was like, Stacy Bloomfield, do this. Because he's just always been this gentle source of encouragement in my life. And so I remember I learned how to use my printer. I learned how to coordinate like my color settings with uh, Adobe, you know, Creative Suite or whatever it was called 10 years ago. And I uh, started printing my own prints in house. And all of a sudden I realized I can do so many things now. 
I can print calendars. I can print cards. I can really increase the volume of the products I'm offering because I've just removed a bottleneck. Now I have my own printer. Right. And you're still working at Starbucks. Uh, Yeah, I was still working at Starbucks. I was doing this at night or not really night because, you know, my shifts were all over the place. I was just anytime I had free time, I would do this. And then I did have an, uh, I had this point where I was starting to build up some momentum, but I was exhausted at Starbucks. So I left my job at Starbucks and got uh, another full-time job at our local university where my husband went to graduate school and it was an office admin job that it was the first time I'd had a set schedule my entire life and it was 40 hours a week, but that felt so relaxing because it was a set schedule. And I was like, wow, I get home at by five o'clock. Look at all this time I have. So I'd feed my family put Violet to bed and then I just work, you know? Um, And at that point I was about two years into my business and things had really started to pick up. I mean, you know, I look back at it and it wasn't like a ton of money, but I was getting like a consistent sale on Etsy every day. Right. So I was like, woohoo, what could be better than this? Like I'm paying myself a little bit of money, like a little bit, like a hundred dollars a month is what I paid myself. And I put everything else back into the business. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Amy Berrickman. Hi, it's Amy Berrickman from amyberrickman.com. And tell me what's new with you, Amy. Well, you've been really diving into kind of your love of vintage, I feel like, over the last couple of of weeks and months. I have. Particularly, I've discovered Amelia Earhart's connection to sewing and fashion. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, serendipitously, there is the search for her plane that's taking place right now that National Geographic is chronicling. Uh, And there's a special coming out in October telling the story. And I recently read an article that uh, explained that she would take her sewing box on long flights. And that got my interest peaked. And so I've written an initial blog post. I'm doing more blog posts sharing her connections and her story. And her birthplace home is just down the road from me. So I'm doing some video work, you know, on location. And I'm just so excited to share it with everyone through my blog and newsletter and social platforms. That's super cool. I had no idea that she was interested in sewing. That's a really neat thing to discover. Well, she was quite an entrepreneur. She had her own line of patterns, sewing patterns. Really? Not unlike you know, my connection with the company I founded, Indigo Junction. And she also licensed her name um, into a line of clothing and did luggage, scarves. But she really was a champion for women's rights and equality. She was quite a pioneer. So there's going to be some changes and some exciting things happening at amyberrickman.com in the next few months. That's super cool. Well, I think people should totally go check it out. I'm going to go check that out myself. Um, my daughter was Amelia Earhart for Halloween not too many oh. Halloweens ago. So we have a special connection over here as well. Super cool. Well, um, Amy, thank you very much for sharing that. And um, where can people go and check this out and more content like it? amyberrickman.com. 
And when people go to the website, we do, if they sign up for the newsletter, they'll receive a, a printable that has some fun labels and recipe cards and one of our magic patterns like we featured in the Vintage Notions book. So I'm looking forward to, to sharing a lot more on the site and inspiring through, you know, what's Vintage Made Modern. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you, Abby. And now back to my conversation with Stacy. I know you were featured on a few blogs and that can really yeah. help. And especially, you know, at a t- at, back at this time when being featured on a big blog really changed things in a way it that maybe, yeah, maybe now blogs, it's a little bit of a different uh, landscape, but you were featured on Decorate. Um, yes. And that, that feature really uh, propelled the business. Yeah. So that was year two. I was working at the university and I'll never forget, like, cause I read that blog all the time and she had an Etsy take five Tuesday feature. Yeah. I always thought, Ooh, if only, if only I could be on there. And I don't, she just found me on Etsy cause that's how she did it. I, at that point I wasn't really pitching myself to anybody cause I didn't know I should. So I'll never forget, all of a sudden, I started getting Etsy sales. One Etsy sale after another. It was like, cha-ching, and then cha-ching, and then cha-ching, and you like that sound, right? And so I looked, and the traffic was coming from her blog, and I'll never forget. It said, this is from an artist on Etsy called Gingerbread. I don't really know what it is about it, but I just like it. All the other ones were kind of like artful critiques of the work that she would feature, and mine was just a simple like, I don't know. I just really like it, and that was it. I was like, that's just what I like. So um, that was, it was so fun because at the time Etsy didn't have an auto renew feature, right? So I was frantically going in and renewing all these listings that were selling because I was like, oh no, I don't want to miss a sale. So that, w- that happened. And then um, flash forward a few months and I was pregnant with my second child at that point. And really I was about eight months pregnant, I got an, an email from Etsy. And Etsy did used to do this big feature where they would feature an artist and do a big interview with them and showcase their product. And it was a homepage feature. The homepage used to be so different on Etsy. It was yeah, wonderful. It was. I miss it. Oh, I it know. So oh. But at the time, I mean, that was like it. Like to be an Etsy featured seller meant that you were doing something right. So I got this email and there or it was like a Etsy convo. They're like, hey, we think your stuff's pretty rad and we want to feature you as a featured seller. And we want to do it the weekend of Black Friday. And just so a heads up, people usually see a huge influx in their sales. So be ready. And I said, absolutely, I'll do this. But I didn't tell Etsy that I was actually due with my second child the day after Thanksgiving, which was Black Friday. But I was like, I can't say no to Etsy. I have to do this. And my husband's like, how are you going to ship your product if you're uh, delivering a baby, Stacey? <laughs> I was like, I can do it. I'm Superwoman. No it. problem. Yeah. No problem. I mean, I can't say no to Etsy. I've learned to say no now whenever like you need to. But at the time, I was like, this is it. This is my shot. And I honestly, my little Lucy girl, my sweet baby, she came two weeks early, healthy as can be. She just came on her own. Her birthday's 11-11-2011. It was a beautiful day. And she came, and that gave me two weeks to kind of get ready for Etsy, which sounds crazy. So I had this newborn baby in my lap, and I'm frantically printing prints. And my husband, that day that the Etsy feature went live, I think he made four trips to the post office in one day just to try to keep up with how much we were selling. It was amazing. And I had my little baby there with me. 
And I just decided I'm not going back to work after maternity leave now. I'm, I'm going to go for it. And what was hilarious is I look back now and the year that I quit my job, I think maybe I made $5,000. And that was enough for me to be like, I've got this. Right. Because that, but you know what? There was like a sign. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. right? It, the, you, you only need like a signal. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, like you can kind of read it as like, this is a message, not necessarily like I'm looking at the grand total here and it adds up. Oh, yeah. At the time, I was leaning into what was working. Um, But I'll let you know, before I left my job, I made sure we had insurance. So it was before the, the current marketplace. So I had a really inexpensive policy that, you know, wasn't super robust, but I made sure that I was covered. I made sure that I could pay myself enough to cover our insurance each month. And I knew that I'd be staying home. So I'd save on childcare with my daughter. And I leaned in and went for it. And because of that Etsy feature, I started getting wholesale requests. And I was like, what's wholesale? But people would message me on Etsy and be like, can we sell your products in our store? And I'd say, absolutely, we can do that. And then I'd frantically Google what is wholesale uh, how do I make a line sheet? Cause they're asking for a line sheet. What does this mean? I got my first licensing gig from that feature too. Uh, a magnet company messaged me and said, we want to put your work on magnets and we'll pay you for it. I had no idea what licensing was, but I was like, yeah, let's do this. Absolutely. And I mean, I was giddy. I was like, I, this is it. What more could I want? You know, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a huge learning curve. But again, like when you start to get those messages saying we want to do wholesale, we want to do this licensing gig, et cetera, right? You can read that as like, okay, there's opportunity here. There's potential. If I did commit my time and energy to this full time, I could make it into something, you know? So, um, but yeah, so that's, that's really interesting. So, okay. So now you're working in this business full time and, um, I know that you've hired some people over the years to help you. Was the first person that came on your sister or did you bring her on a little bit later? Well, I had a few people, who were helping me sew. So something I didn't mention is I started offering hand sewn pillows uh, to my product categories. Like I, I, I started offering screen printed tea towels and handmade pillows because it just, it's what I wanted to do and I couldn't keep up with the demand. So I had um, like a, like, what do you want to call them? Seamstresses who were helping me, but they were like contracted, you know, they weren't like my employees. They were just people who were working out of their house. But so my sister was my first actual employee. And it was amazing because at the time she was also starting her family and was looking for a chance to be able to work part-time and be with her kids. And at the time I was like super disorganized with all the emails I was getting and how to process these new wholesale orders. I had like a real, I had no system, honestly. And she's mega different than me. We get along great, but she's like analytical and not as emotional maybe as I am. And she's kind of the yin to my yang. So she, I was like, crazy idea, Angie. What if you like work with me and help me with all this? And she was like, let's do it. So that was maybe seven years ago. So she's been with me that long, which is crazy. Wow. And she's so she's not a contractor. She's actually an employee. Now she is. Okay. She lives, she lives in Oklahoma and she works remotely, which is funny, right? Like one of my first hires was remote, but it's because 
she was just the right person for the job. Like I know a lot of people would advise against working with family and not every family member maybe would work, but Angie and I had a real like heart to heart conversation at the very beginning about how we would protect our sisterhood, that relationship and how we would handle work. And I can't imagine having like grown the business with anybody else. Do you know what I mean? She's my biggest cheerleader. I trust her implicitly. And when it's your, your first time, like having an employee, like trust is so important whenever you really are kind of learning as you go. So I felt super safe with her. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. And um, I think that's really important as far as working with family and having that heart to heart conversation about protecting your relationship, because I think a lot of people do bring on family members and don't have that conversation at first. Mm-hmm. And then um, things can go sour and you just don't think it's ever going to happen. But then you have, you know, your family forever. And um, that, that can really uh, ruin things in a bad way. So I think that's a really important point um, for sure. And I know that um, you had said in another interview that I had watched, I think on YouTube, about um, making some mistakes regarding like employee, um, like tax law and things like that. And I I have some familiarity with this because I recently hired my first employee and I used Gusto Payroll because just hiring an employee is incredibly confusing. There's like workers' compensation and all of this stuff. And um, without their help, I would never have been able to do it and do it like and comply with the law. Um, So I I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the mistakes that you made there because um, it's really complicated. Oh, yeah. So it's a couple of things. First of all, uh, you don't know until you know. And I had no business background for hiring. Like when I worked at Starbucks and hired people, there was like an HR department that handled all the paperwork and stuff. So I didn't have to worry about all those things. I just had to manage essentially. So I was managing okay, but I didn't know about like withholdings and uh, how much, where to put that money and how you pay it to the government and how you pay it to your state. And my father-in-law, who is a CPA, he helped me out early, early on with like getting my business license and things. And I, I'll, I'll never forget. He was like, Stacy, whenever the government comes for you and they will come for you, they're going to look at you and say, oh, this poor girl had no idea what she was doing. He's like, so let me take this moment to tell you, you need to hire someone to help you with this. And I was like, so freaked out. I, I, I just hadn't been paying in. Like I'd been paying employees, like just writing checks. Like I wasn't doing pay stubs. I wasn't withholding. I had no idea. I wasn't using QuickBooks. It was just like, I was doing my best, like the best I knew how to do until someone alerted me to the fact that like, uh, this might be a little illegal. So I, I ended up having a CPA, not my father-in-law, someone who lived closer to me kind of take a look at everything. And that was the most, you know, it's embarrassing whenever you're, you realize that you've been doing things wrong and so we got it all in the up and up. Like I owed a bunch of money for employee like back taxes and I got it paid before anyone like, you know, find me. But there was like two or three years worth of stuff that I had to like catch up on. And I feel super safe and more confident with my business now because I actually do have it set up. But I will tell you, like, it is scary if you don't know what you're doing. Like you, it, sometimes it's really hard to find the resources. Like every state's different. Like, who am I going to call? I try calling, like, my state's, like, local, like, tax office, and they can't answer my questions very well because, you know, they're just, like, a small state government office. Anyway, all that is to say, 
I really messed up, but I got caught up and now I actually keep someone on my, on my, uh, it's like a monthly expense. I have a local person who handles all of this for me. He also is a part-time operations manager and helps with a lot of other parts of our business, but he makes sure that we are paying our taxes on time. Our employees are being paid properly and it's all good. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, before it's part of the expense of hiring. So before you're really ready to hire, you have to also be able to afford the CPA who can help you make sure that you're complying or the payroll service, whatever you end up choosing to use. But if you can't also afford that, then you're not actually able to hire. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to be able to figure that in. Um, And it is scary because it is for real and it can shut you down in the end. So and get you in big trouble. So um, so now, uh, you know, bring us up to kind of today. Um, I'd love it if you can kind of talk about like the full scope of Gingerbread now because it's really impressive. Um, <laughs> you like you have this, let's just sort of talk about the wholesale catalog that you have. We said you're in 500 stores, which is amazing. Um, so how many SKUs do you have roughly? I don't know if you know the exact number, but like around how many SKUs are in this catalog that wholesalers can choose from or retailers can choose from almost a thousand honestly a thousand different products um that we yeah that we that we manufacture and sell uh some of them are all in like the wholesale catalog we have some products that are exclusively maybe for moda fabrics some products that are exclusively online but i mean i think we probably are at a good thousand products right now that's amazing and they run the gamut from like greeting cards to fabric to to sort of tell us kind of like the main big categories okay yeah so with wholesale that's primarily kind of our paper goods and gift items so greeting cards calendars screen printed tea towels tote bags enamel pins that's primarily what we are shipping out to those brick and mortars and it's 500 small brick and mortars i'm not in any key accounts like you won't find my work in anthropology you won't find it in urban outfitters you won't find it in paper source right now, I have honestly built this uh, with small businesses who believe in Gingerbread and believe in the message. And so we have really personal relationships with all of our retailers. And my sister Angie, who started out just doing our, you know, book like uh, admin, she now manages that entire program of our business. So wholesale is big. Then we also sell direct customer on our website. We still have an Etsy shop, but we still, but we open our own website, gingerbread.com. And that's where we focus primarily our direct customer e-commerce sales. We have a subscription box on there. So it's a quarterly subscription box for our customers with exclusive merchandise that you can only get in the box. And we try to please all of our customers. We have stuff for quilters, stuff for crafters, stuff for paper goods enthusiasts, stuff who, who, for people who just need a little encouragement in their life. Then I license my products, my designs to companies. Like you mentioned at the beginning, Crate and Barrel, their kids company, Crate and Kids. I've worked with them for years and years. They're one of my first big, like, wonderful stories about how I put myself out there. And I can talk about that later. But I pitched to them a cold email about wanting to work with them. And they said yes. And that's crazy. I work with Moda Fabrics, which is a similar story. Um, I've done, gosh, 10 fabric lines with them in the past three years. And I'm working on my... 11th right now um i have a wallpaper line with chasing paper wallpaper i have 
greeting cards with Sellers Publishing. I've done work for Cordo Publishing, Crane and Company. And right now I'm writing my first book that I uh, sold to publishers over the summer. We had a book auction and everything. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, amazing. And you had a retail store briefly as well. And I have one again now. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, at the beginning of the year, it's this beautiful, there's this beautiful building in my town of Springdale that I've always loved. And I used to tell my husband, I'm like, that's my building, right? And I've moved my studio a lot over the years. I have opened retail stores and closed them. I have tried all sorts of different things. And about two years ago, I started really getting better at listening to my like intuition. And my intuition said, Stacy, you need to like sit still and stop moving the studio until it is the exact right move. Because it was really disheartening. I could go into that. But trying ventures and then them failing or not working, you just have to keep moving, right? So this building came available at the beginning of the year. And it was my building, the building that I always wanted. And it allows me to have a small studio space. It allows me to have a storefront and a workshop area where I can invite my, my uh, gosh, my community to come in and create artwork. So now we have instructors who come in and teach classes there. And we do it weekly. We do like two classes a week. And that's where we also do all of our shipping out of. And I love it so much. So that's another part of our business that we've launched this year is the storefronts and then the workshop component. Right. It's amazing. So, yeah. And I feel like you you, you have this motto, like, keep moving, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that. And um, I do want to talk a little bit about pitching um, because we talked about it briefly with um, asking your husband on the date. And so let's that, like, dive into that now because this is a huge part of the secret sauce for your yeah. success. Um, and we'll start with um, the Land of Nod, which is now called Crate and Kids. Um, yeah. So in 2012, that that was, I guess, the first really big licensing deal. Yeah. You were listening to this podcast, uh, Smart Creative Women. And so and and you um, heard about um, about this possibility of licensing with them. Yes. So when I was listening to that podcast, they had Michelle as a guest and Michelle at the time was kind of the creative director of the land of nod. And the person interviewing her said, so how do you find artists to work with? And she said, honestly, artists can just email me directly. And she, she read off her email address during that podcast. And I like paused it and rewound it. I was like, wait a second. She just gave out her email address for me to send her my pitch. And I had recently kind of sat down to make my, if you want to talk about like the vision board, the five-year plan, I was kind of mapping out like my goals for my business. Like what were the dream clients I could have? And the land of nod was one of those dream clients. So I, I literally like was like, hold the phone, pause everything. I'm sending an email right now. And it's kind of cute in hindsight because I made this little collage of all of my work and I inserted it into the email and it was a very short but confident email. It said, hi, Michelle, this is Stacy Bloomfield with Gingerbread. And I feel like we are the perfect match to work with each other. Here's why. And I told them all the things that all the little accomplishments that I had done with my business at that time, because, you know, I've been an Etsy featured seller. So I told them about that. I told them about the blogs that I'd been featured on. At the time, Babbel was kind of a big website and Babbel had named me the number one nursery decor website or the number nursery decor Etsy seller for that year. So, you know, I just listed off my accomplishments like one, two, three. Here's my work for you to look at. I really look forward to hearing from you. You know, sincerely, Stacy Bloomfield. 
And I sent off that email. I didn't overthink it. I just did it. And I couldn't believe it. But within a few days, I had an email back from them. In fact, the email landed in my junk folder, I found out. So I was like looking through my junk folder and there was a reply. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it said, hi, Stacy. Yes, let's work with each other. We think you're perfect. And we know who you are. And that, that I was like, oh my gosh, they know who I am. They've seen my work. And immediately we did our first collection together. And I learned from them about product design and like, mocking up work and what the land of nod has you do is you don't just send them artwork you're actually creating the whole product you're like creating the renderings the measurements everything they like really throw you in so i learned about product development from them i learned about licensing i learned about how to create a repeat pattern uh like not the best way to create a repeat pattern but i figured out how to do it so i could work with the land of nod right and there it was and my stuff debuted about less than a year later and it was like a pinch me moment I couldn't believe it and it was all because I stopped I I listened to my gut I listened to this podcast that day she was the guest she listed her email address and I just went for it I did not overthink it and that's how I approach all of my pitches now I now have a big list of all the companies who are the dream companies I want to work with I actually have a list on my phone on one of my wonder lists it's an app uh, that I use for keeping track of lists and I have a category for creative directors and a category for manufacturers and a category for other small businesses I would like to work with. And what I'm really good at now is I pay attention to who's working with who. Whenever someone talks on Instagram about a company they're working with and they thank someone, I figure out who that person is that they thanked because sometimes they'll tag them. Uh, that's how I find all of my, all of the people to work with. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah. really pay attention. Yeah. You have to watch, right? It's a lot of watching. Like who is saying what to whom. It's like reading the acknowledgments parts of books, oh, right? Absolutely. Somebody thanks their editor. They thank this person. It's like, who is that? Go look them up. Find it out. You know, you really need to follow those trails. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is they knew who you were, um, you know, at Land of Nod because you put your work online, right? So yes. you would put enough of your work online consistently over time that, you know, Babel had named your Etsy shop the home, you know, the nursery decor Etsy shop of the year. And so in other words, your work had been seen online over and over again in enough places that um, when Michelle got the email, she recognized it. And she's like, oh, I've seen oh, this yeah. before, right? And I think that there's a, there, there's a fear um, that some people have um, that if you do that, people are going to copy your work right? And yeah. then um, you it won't be yours anymore. Somebody's going to take it. They're going to manufacture it in China. They're going to take it and sell it themselves or whatever. And so you have to hold it close to your chest and not share it. But if you had done that, you wouldn't have been able to succeed in these pitches. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I have experienced all of that. And I am still here running a successful business. I've had my work taken. I've had it manufactured overseas. I've had it ripped off by companies that people know the names of. And it is disheartening. But at the same time, I'm still selling my work. And I'm still creating new work. And if I, I had this conversation this weekend at a retreat that I led, uh, an artist retreat. Like there are a lot of people who are afraid to even post on Instagram. So they're not getting started because of this fear of what could happen. But also... 
what could happen if you put it out there and the right people see it? Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, there's no way of knowing. So all you can do is dive in, jump in, put yourself out there and keep creating good work, you know, just keep creating good work. So that the designs at the land of non-licensed, uh, they still sell them, but there are a lot of companies overseas that saw, saw them and they've ripped them off. And gosh, if I had let that stop me, like I wouldn't have a business anymore. So you have to just, there, there's good and bad in any situation. Yeah. You, know, you just keep going. And keep moving, right? That's, that's the, yeah. that's the, the ginger motto. Keep moving. Okay. So let's talk about Moda. So um, it's a pretty, sounds like it was a pretty similar story. You wanted fabric um, and you pitched, was Moda the first company you pitched? Did you pitch other companies and how did you how did you craft this like how did you make this happen yeah so here so i decided like i should be making fabric whenever you do this for a long time you'll get customers to suggest things and i'd had a lot of suggestions like why aren't you making fabric i was like i don't know why i'm not making fabric that's a good point why am i not in fabric so uh, that's when I actually taught myself the proper way to do a repeat pattern for fabric design. Like I had kind of figured it out for the land of nod for those projects, but it wasn't really like the most efficient way. So I learned how to make repeat patterns properly uh, and easing my time better. Uh, I put together a couple of little collections of my, of my patterns and I named them and everything. I took it real seriously. I'm like, this is this collection. It's called like, like day at the zoo. And this collection is called in the garden. And I made little PDFs of them and I pitched to Moda. They were probably the third person I pitched to, but I, I pitched to two other companies that a lot of indie designers at the time do a lot of work with. And then I had a friend who had worked with Moda. She was a fellow stationary designer. And honestly, this is where you're going to laugh is because I had no idea who Moda was because they weren't a company that indie designers were working with. They were like a quilting fabric company. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that, the illustrator path was to go down to this, like go with these really trendy, but a lot smaller fabric companies, you know? So I asked my friend, do you like working with your fabric company? And she said, yeah, they're the best motive fabrics. And I said, so I should pitch to them. She's like, absolutely. Here, let me give you their contact information. Because again, I asked someone who I knew and built a relationship up with about like, ask for help, ask, and she freely gave me that information, which that's happened a lot in my career. Like you're nice to people, you build up relationships and you never know whenever something good can come out of that. And also you have to be giving yourself as well. Like you can't always just take, you have to be somebody who's generous. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like it's been me being, sharing my information with people, sharing uh, my story, talking about about resources with people freely. And again, you don't want to be the person that's always asking for things for people because people can sense that, you know, like it's, it's a challenge. It's a little balance, but she said, anyway, she said, you know, pitch to my company. So I sent them an email and I was like, Hey, my name is Stacy Bloomfield and I would really like to make fabric with you. And I sent them my designs and we were on the phone the next day and they actually hated all. I don't want to say hated because they're probably listening to this. Hi, Jamie. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, they didn't hate the designs, but they weren't the direction that they could see it going. And instead, they had browsed my website and they saw a lot of my black and white illustrations. So I do a lot of like really fine detailed illustrations that are black and white of animals with lots of texture inside of them. And they saw those and they said, actually, how would you feel about making a collection based off of this instead? And I was like, hmm, 
Hmm. I don't know, Moda Fabrics. I'm going to have to think about this because I honestly didn't realize like one, they're the largest distributor of quilting fabric, like in the world. Boom. Two, like they're a great company with a great reputation and they are really good to their designers. And three, like you, they, there's a reason they are who they are and have been around as long as they are. So like you listen to them. But at the time I was like, you know, I'm going to weigh this out. So let me get back to you. And eventually I did say yes. And we put that collection together. Like within a week I had final artwork to them. We got it done super duper fast because it was just a black and white line. So we could print it really quickly. And then I went to my first quilt market and I had no idea what I was doing because I'm not a quilter by trade. I'm an illustrator. And it became very clear to me that like Moda is kind of a big deal. And I felt super like um, embarrassed maybe, but also humbled. Like, oh my gosh, like they just took a chance on me. And I can't believe that I didn't really know who they were. But once I did figure out like who they were and how great the quilting community was, I threw myself into it like 200%. I started designing quilt, quilt designs and hiring quilt pattern writers to help me bring them to life. And I really started trying to figure out who my audience was with Moda and I have leaned into it so hard and I love it. And I love being with Moda and honestly, fabric is the favorite is my favorite part of my job. Now getting to design fabric in the collections. It's the best and Moda is the best. So there you go. Yeah, that's great. That's a great, um, great story. And I know you also go to the national stationery show as well. And you've done that show many times. Yes. And that's a, it's interesting because if you've ever done quilt market, the feeling of quilt market is one is so different than um, a trade show for stationery. They're they're a night and day. Tell me, tell me the difference. I've been to quilt market many times, but I've never been to the national stationery show. So how are they different? Yes. Well, first of all, quilt market is usually held either in Houston during the fall or, you know, they travel, but a quilter is a whole different breed of a person. Uh, very warm and friendly, you know, not, uh, not ex- like um, excluding at all, very welcoming. Uh, everyone is just excited to see all this beautiful work. And as a designer, at least how Moda does it, I just get to go set my booth up and be there and visit. And I'm not writing the orders because Moda has reps that write the orders. At, at Stationery Show in New York, first of all, you're in New York, which New York is like kind of intimidating. Uh, it's retailers who are only looking for paper and gift items. You are building an entire hard wall booth, like like a 10 by 10 foot miniature storefront. And you're writing the orders yourself. It's a lot longer than quilt market. And honestly, it's physically grueling and it costs a lot of money. Like to put on a, a the stationary show, like to put that show on, you're going to spend at least ten to $15,000 out of pocket just to get there to rent your booth space and to show up and try to sell your products. And then it's like crossing your fingers and being like, please, please, please let people show up and buy my products, you know, but there's no guarantee. But with quilt market, your overhead's a lot lower. Your audience is just a whole different target audience. And honestly, it's a lot less pressure. It's a lot more fun. But yeah, stay that's show. so interesting. Yeah, what an interesting difference for sure. It is. I mean, I think if you were the owner of the company, so Moda itself, right, is buying 16, 18 booths and yeah. flying out their entire staff and all of that. So they, as you said, are paying the bill and it's really, really expensive for them. So it's yeah. a different um, perspective for, you know, Mark Dunn and his family who are, 
actually footing the bill. Um, but for you as the designer, and it is your wares that you're there to um, help sell, it's a very different feeling. Yeah. And you know, also, I'll just say that there are other fabric companies that have their designers pay for all of the things that Moda covers for us. Because like I said, Moda's really good to us. But and I'm not saying other companies aren't, but I do know that other companies have their designers pay a lot more out of pocket to participate in quilt market. And that's just one of the benefits of being with Moda. They make it really easy for their designers to succeed and to shine. And that's one of the reasons I love them. Uh, but that's nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Dunn family is amazing. And I'd say that even if I wasn't with them, like just their model, if you look at how their business has grown and how they've done it, uh, like with money, with cash and like not having to go into debt, like it's, it's phenomenal. Like it's an inspiration for anybody. Uh, so I know you did a podcast. Yeah, I had them on the show so people can go back and listen. They do talk about their business model, which is really an, an interesting one and different from other um, fabric companies. So um, that's an interesting thing. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you keep your voice unique as an illustrator, because I feel like I know you have a really big following on Instagram. I, I think you still do your Instagram posting or most of it yourself. Okay. Um, so that's something up a place where, you know, you're probably on Instagram on a daily basis, posting, responding to comments. Um, and you said, you know, you're looking at who's posting and thanking other people. So you're probably, you know, looking in your feed on Instagram as well, which means you're seeing other people's artwork. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's compare and despair. And there's sort of a feeling too of just being just visually inundated and influenced, even, you know, even if you don't really want to be by trends, by other people's style and color and, Um, imagery and it can kind of creep in and all of a sudden it's like is this really my work is this really my voice and I wondered if you could talk about how you stay true to the gingerbread look and um, and sort of voice yeah well I'll tell you first of all I don't go on Pinterest like at all because if you talk about that visual overstimulation and being very easily influenced by other people's work, like without realizing it. I think Pinterest is maybe it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. So I choose for my own creative um, thinking to not go on there. And then I am careful about who I follow also on Instagram. I tend to follow, obviously there's, I follow a lot of people, but the algorithm is strange. You know, it'll show you posts pretty much from the people you interact with. So mostly the posts that I see are colleagues or people who I have real life relationships with. So I don't use the explore feature a lot because I feel like that's a really easy way to kind of go down the rabbit hole of being accidentally like influenced by other people's work. And in terms of keeping my aesthetic my own and my voice my own, I really don't look around a lot. I keep my head down. Um, I also will say that I really have begun to listen to my own like gut instincts a lot more over the past two years. So I have been in business for 10 years. And when I started, it was nursery art completely. And that's it. And then I felt this little urge to kind of move towards also gift items because I realized that over half of my audience didn't have kids at all. They just liked my work. It was sweet and encouraging and uh, kind of classic and timeless is the words that people gave me a lot, like on trend, but timeless. And so I kind of listened to my gut and I created gift items. 
And then about two years ago, you know, I'm probably done having kids. My husband has a steady job. We're kind of out of a lot of the transitional phases in our life. And then I started feeling this internal nudge to take better care of myself as a person. Also with how I was running the business, like I was putting everything into the business and this is all related to the art, I promise. But um, I was putting every ounce of energy I had into trying to grow my business and kind of fixated on it. And I was kind of smothering it to death because I was so focused on trying to grow, grow, grow that I kind of lost a little bit of my creative voice, I guess you could say. So maybe, maybe a year and a half ago to two years ago, I realized that I needed to like take a step back, breathe, quiet, like the noise in my life and get back in touch with like why I was creating art in the first place and what I wanted going forward. And it, it occurred to me, like, I really hadn't made any art for myself in a long time. I was just trying to like keep the gingerbread brand going, but I had lost a lot of the joy. So I started making artwork again for myself and then sharing it on social media. And then what was nuts is people were responding to it way more than they ever had before. Like they still love the cute stuff I'd done before, the nursery art and the gift items. But then I started building this like personal connection with the social media audience that I had about like the things I was going through in my life and putting in my art, they were going through too. Yeah, I love the, the it's almost like self-care art, I would describe yes. it as. It's like, I forget the one, there's like a hand and maybe it says like, um, give something about margin like give yourself oh my gosh give yourself margin yeah I love that piece I need it framed in my studio because oh yes there's an amazing story I'm gonna have to take a minute to tell you this and I'm glad you mentioned that okay so guys you need to listen to your gut and you need to listen to the little calling inside your heart whenever it you hear that voice listen to it because here's what's happened to me And this has been a key to like my happiness over the past two years and the growth Gingerbread has seen over the past two years. So in January of 2018, I was completely burnt out. I, the business wasn't growing as fast as I would have liked. I was making mistakes left and right. My family, I had three kids at that point and we were just exhausted, you know, because at that point it'd been like eight years of business. And I even thought maybe I should close up shop, not because I wasn't still selling, but because I was exhausted and burnout will happen. So I drew this illustration for myself of a hand kind of making a little like, like a hand holding like an invisible something like holding something. And it says, give yourself margin in the hand, like give yourself a little space. And I'd never made a phrase for myself. You know, you see people on social media, like my, my word for the year is this, my phrase for the year. And I just, I felt it in my heart. I need to draw this thing that says, give yourself margin, Stacey. What does that even mean? I don't know. But I did. And I printed it out and I put it on my wall and I looked at it every day and I shared it on social media. And I was like, this is going to be my phrase for the year. I don't know what it means yet, but I got to find a way to put some space back in my life for myself. And that became my mantra for 2018. I actually, that's when I created this creative social retreat with five other local artists where we literally would like rent a house in the woods and would only make art all weekend with no agenda, but to make art. That happened that year. And it was so life-giving I honestly poured a lot of energy into decorating my house, which is something that I love to do, but never had made time for because I was so focused on the work. But I I told my employees, because I had a few at that point, I'm like, I'm going to be coming in a little less. I will always get my work done, but I'm going to spend a little time decorating. 
I finally started going to yoga because I had no physical activity in my life because I was working so much and someone had suggested yoga and I started going to yoga. I actually started going to therapy, which is amazing and everyone should consider it. If you feel like you need some extra support in your life, I'd always been afraid of the stigma associated with therapy because that's what was kind of taught to me was like, you know, people only go to therapy for X, Y, and Z reasons. No one had reminded me that people go to therapy because they're human beings and are complex. And sometimes we just need a little extra help, right? So I started going to therapy and I did things that I never would have done before. I took off time from work to travel with my husband. I went to Scotland with him and I cannot even begin to express what happened in my, my business and in my whole well-being. But every time I put myself back in my life, I gave myself a little margin little margin to sleep more, a little margin to, to cook, a little margin to decorate, like doors kept opening up in my life. It's like I had been doing the same things over and over again for so long, like beating myself, my head into the wall, being like, why isn't this happening? Why isn't this happening? Why am I stuck? And the minute I like changed it up and created a little bit more white space in my life, uh, my business started growing again. And I mean like growing, growing. I My employees were shocked at how much changed like it was just the the happiness of everyone at gingerbread changed because I was happier yeah and sometimes then, you need to just relax into it a little bit you know yeah and then and I'll wrap this up but I'll just tell you that for years people have said Stacy why aren't you writing books and I'm like I don't know why I'm not writing books and I pitched so much to every literary agent I could find who kept getting a no so I got a no in 2018 from an agent and she was just like no this isn't going to work Um, so I kind of put it away, tucked it away in my heart. And I'm like, this just must not be, this might not be the right time. So then in 2019, almost a year to the day that I posted the hand image that said, give yourself margin. I drew something else. I drew my goals for 2019. And I said this year, I really hope that I can find an agent who believes in my work as it is and wants me, wants to write a book with me. And the next day I got an email from that agent who had said no to me. And she said, Stacy, you keep coming to my mind. And I don't know what it is, but I have regretted not working with you ever since. And I'm scrolling your Instagram feed and I saw this image that you drew of a hand saying, give yourself margin. And I feel like that's the book we need to write together. A book of encouragement for women just like you and just like me who have like removed themselves so much from, from their own lives for the sake of everything else that they've lost themselves. And I think this is the book we need to write together is to give yourself margin. So that's the book I wrote. And that's the book that's coming out in fall of 2020. And it's kind of nuts, right? That is so funny because I actually had no idea, but I was, you know, looking at your Instagram in preparation for this interview and that image stood out to me so much. So that's just very, it's just striking. That's so interesting that that became the image that was the, you know, the starting off point for the book. I had, I didn't know that at all. I know. And it's just, it's a little confirmation that if I had set out to write that book, two years ago, it wouldn't have happened because I had to like go through the process of living a little bit and experiencing things myself. If I had been like two years ago, I'm going to write an encouragement book for women. It would have been like, okay, and what's it going to be about? I have no idea because I haven't lived it yet. So I had to kind of live a couple of things over the past two years to have something to draw upon. So now a lot of my work, it's still gingerbread, it's still my aesthetic. But I've been pushing myself a little bit more 
because someone reminded me recently, like the message. So the work needs to be your work and beautiful, but the message is what people are responding to. So now I really think about that whenever I'm creating my illustrations, like I'm creating what I need to see and I'm hoping that it will touch someone else yeah. too. And it's, you know, I also think the other, um, the other piece of this too is that it's okay to evolve. You know, yes. I think that it's okay to change. And I think there's some people who would be super afraid to alienate their audience because, you know, that picture is not a picture of an animal and is not nursery decor. <laughs> and it's like, I can't do that because that's off brand. And, you know, the thing is, you've been in business for 10 years. You're a different person now. And it's not as though you're abandoning the old imagery. It's just that you're evolving. And in order for you to continue to grow, you have to be able to change as a person and your imagery has to be able to change along with you. And I think that's um, that's important, you know. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and also for sharing about your, um, your willingness to, 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 um, go to therapy because I agree with you a hundred percent on that piece as well. Um, as a person who has also gone to therapy and different times in my own life. So I think that's really important to share, um, and give people the confidence that that's okay to go to therapy. <laughs> it's in yes. fact, all human beings benefit from therapy. Um, so, okay. I wanted to get to your recommendations. Um, so you wanted to recommend Procreate and the iPad. Mm -hmm. Well, I will say that I have always drawn by hand with pen and ink, and then I would scan it into my computer. And that's how I would create my work and color it. And I still do that a lot, but I've been really bad always at keeping like consistent sketchbooks. I have a lot of sketchbooks and I draw on them from time to time, but it never fails that I'll misplace a sketchbook or I won't, I won't have it with me when an idea strikes. So I've seen everyone using the iPad and Procreate, not everyone, but a lot of illustrators who had started like using it as a, you know, digital sketchbook and just keeping it with them. And I finally saved up enough money to where I did that for myself. So, and it kind of changed my workflow. It's made me a lot faster. I still draw by hand with paper and pen, but having an iPad is just a really nice way to get ideas down really quickly and uh, to edit quickly. And then the key is making sure that stylistically it matches the style of your pen and ink drawings, which that's just something you have to learn by doing it. But I just love how efficient it is and it has, allowed me to get a lot more work done a lot faster. I've started doing client work with the iPad and it's it's kind of nuts. I really dig it. I love it. A lot of the illustrators that I have had on the show have recommended various apps, but have recommended drawing on the iPad. It's interesting. And they, they all seem to have a learning curve and then really love it. So yeah. um, so that's interesting. Okay, hand embroidery. I also love hand embroidery. Yeah, I love it because, so I'm someone who draws a lot. And I'm at my computer and I love to be creative, but there's just not a lot of time when you're running a business like I am to do a lot of the hands-on things that I used to. So last year I took up hand embroidery and I designed my own patterns and I just, I love how I can use my hands in a completely different way. It feels very meditative to me and you get this beautiful piece of art at the end, no matter what pattern you choose, that's handmade and it's your time and you can make it at however you want it to be and I love that so often now I will spend evenings kind of doing hand embroidery work while I'm kind of chilling out for the rest of my day it's still creative work 
but it just uses a whole different part of my brain and I love it. Yeah, it is nice. And you can embellish clothing. You can, you know, there's just so many different ways that you can use it or just make, you know, a standalone piece. But it is, it's really meditative and relaxing and um, I love it too. So, um, and also you wanted to recommend um, Shibori Indigo Dyeing, which I haven't tried yet, but I've had the kit on my Amazon wish list for like a year. You have to do it. I just did it for the first time this weekend at this retreat that I help run. And one of my fellow artists, uh, that was the class that she taught with Shibori dyeing. And I've never done any type of dyeing at all because, you know, it's it's a little intimidating. It's Here's what's beautiful about it. Indigo, no matter what, is this beautiful color. And there's no way to do the Shibori dyeing wrong. So if you're, if you're not familiar with it, it's using like a blue indigo dye ink. And you take whatever fabric you're going to use or whatever textile and so it's a little bit reminiscent to tie dyeing you know you can create shapes by using clips or wood or rubber bands and you dye it and submerge it and then whenever you open it up it has this beautiful unique pattern and there's no way to do it wrong which I think if you're a perfectionist creative like it's a really great way to get out of your comfort zone and just make things and it's a completely different uh, tactile experience from anything else I had made so now I have several tea towels that I've made from this past weekend and they're every one of them is beautiful and unique and it's also a nice way you're usually going to be outside whenever you're doing the dyeing process so it's also a great way to be creative but outdoors you know yeah so um I love it yeah I need to do it and it's a good thing to do with a group of people so yeah yeah, I need to get some friends together and do it it sounds it sounds really nice so um well Stacey thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walsh Naps podcast I really enjoyed talking to you it was really it was great oh thank you so much for having me And you've been listening to the Walshie Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshienaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by amyberrickman.com. Amy's community includes her Vintage Made Modern Facebook group. Be sure to sign up for her newsletter, join, and receive a welcome collection of printables, which includes labels and recipe cards, as well as a magic pattern for the crop jacket. You can also learn all about her adventures, from mining for fabulous vintage design to sharing talented makers with vintage-made modern style. And of course, follow her on Instagram at amyberrickman underscore studio. Thank you so much, Amy. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.